Vivid Nectar podcast episode 254. We're back at it. Took a nice um, week break from podcasting. Been doing a couple things behind the scenes, not relating to podcasting or even to Instagram, but just for my life. Man, just enjoying the good stuff, but we're back at it. Today's topics are going to be ranging from Drake and 21's album rollout for her loss. How has it aged? How has it still been impacting the album as far as streams, attention, memes? And something that I gave you guys the first impressions last week. And I wanted to show some love to the actual album rollout before I come back another episode and talk about the actual album, how I'm feeling a week later, my thoughts exactly. Because, you know, first impressions to actual, I would like to say review breakdown, two different things. From there, we're going to be going towards Taylor Swift Midnight, a 1.5 million first week sales. I'm going to be breaking down how it happened. I didn't see a lot of media outlets breaking down how Taylor Swift did it, but rather the fact that she sold over a milli first week. And that's about it. Then we're going to dive into the cryptocurrencies. We're going to become crypto millionaires. Well, except if you were invested in FTX, a complete meltdown. I just want to give my two cents because I'm not a crypto expert. I'm not. I ain't balling in crypto. I've never put an excessive amount of time in there to truly be like, oh man, I, I could have seen this coming, but I just want to, I just want to give my two cents in the situation and then end it off with One Piece chapter 1066. Again, One Piece gets crazier and crazier. So to start it off, it's been, what, give or take one week. Yes. One week since her loss dropped. And I appreciate the album rollout for her loss as each day goes by. So having Drake and 21 sort of plan a parody of performances, radio talk shows to, you know, sort of, you know, to copy the real shows, to copy the real radio shows. And instead of actually going on there, hey, we're going to make our own versions. We're going to do a parody of it. We're going to have fun with it. And it's going to catch a lot of attention. And the first one that threw me off was the color show preview with Drake and 21. I remember seeing it on the Instagram and me being someone who's been watching colors for a good, good amount of years now. I'm not going to lie to y'all and say I watch every single video, every single artist, every single performance. But at least once a month, I go to the Colors YouTube channel and see, let me see what's up. Let me see what's up with Colors. Um, wow, I, I butchered the entire thing. It's Tiny Desk. I know, I'm a liar. I'm a liar. So I'm going to keep this. I'm not going to edit this out, man. Tiny Desk. Seeing the Tiny Desk preview. Same thing with Tiny Desk. I do the same thing with Colors and Tiny Desk. That, that much is true. Um, or it was Drake 21 right there. They announced it on their Instagram. And well, they posted on their Instagram. I'm thinking the entire time they're gonna have a tiny desk performance before the album drops. This is this is dope. But then when I'm looking at it on the Instagram, I'm like, I don't know what's up with tiny desks. Maybe it's because I haven't watched like the past couple videos, but it doesn't look as organized, doesn't look as neat. The quality just isn't there. And I know I was just like, something's off. Something's off. And then that's I went to the tiny desk YouTube, went to the Instagram to see sort of like an announcement or anything. And none. And then it sort of hit me. I'm like, is this fake? Is this fake? Have we been played, bamboozled, taken astray? Yeah, 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 it was fake. And then continuing on from there, going to um the parody Howard Stern show, Drake and 21, just chatting it up. I thought that was a great touch. I'm not too familiar with the with the radio show or Howard Stern to be real with y'all. I don't, I don't know if that's something. 
that's something I should be knowledgeable of. But when I see Howard Stern, anything related to that, it's just like, I ain't never seen the show. I don't know the reputation behind this man. So seeing seeing the clip that I saw, I'm like, okay, that that's cool. I, <laughs> for me, it was like, oh man, that's that's great. I've seen Howard Stern show or whatever. I was just like, oh, I, I assume... I assume this is sort of a, a big deal to a certain extent. Cool. The BS SNL live performance, I thought that was, I thought that was pretty dope as well. Having Michael B. Jordan open up with the album Her Loss, what you know, his password. It's a little things like that. The way it's set up to where it just sort of adds this co- this layer of cohesiveness on top of everything. I'm just like, I'm appreciating. There, there's a there's been some thought laid out for this. There, there was actually a good amount of planning. It isn't just, we're just going to throw anything together. It's like little touches like this that make it a memorable experience when the album is rolling out when it first releases. Because years from now, whenever you're talking to some of your boys, acquaintances, whatever the case is, and you look back, it's sort of like an era throughout that week. It wasn't just, oh, album announcement, typical trailers or whatever. It's like, yo, remember we thought it was like the tiny desk and we still never got it? I'm speaking in the future right now. Years from now, we're going to be like, damn, imagine, not even imagine. Why didn't Drake and 21 do a tiny desk? They did the parody, but they couldn't do a real one. The year's like 2028, 20, but I'm chatting out too much. The BS performance for, you know, the quote unquote SNL. I thought it was great. I loved it because they actually curse. I'm happy it ain't the real SNL because they, they got to censor their stuff. I really don't get the hype behind SNL either. I, I don't. I don't know if I'm out of touch. Nah, I ain't out of touch. I mean, let me tell you, I hate, I hate, it hates a strong word. We got, we got, we got to watch our words. I can't stand that bullshit that people be going up, performing some of their greatest music and they're censoring themselves. It'll be a dope, a dope, dope, clean visual. I believe one that I remember was like Skeletons and Travis Scott. I don't, I don't think he really curses that much in there. But what I'm trying to get at is raw track, raw visuals, and we censoring curse words? What, because there's a late night show, but even then they can't curse at late night, man. They, they, I can't stand it. It's irritating. Let's, let's stop this. Can we sign, can we do a petition for rappers to stop going to SNL? And a performing, you know, having this grand performance just to censor the curse words. It ruins everything. Now, I'm a bit hypocritical here because recently I've been lying to myself. I really have. I've been trying to push to listen to some censored music because of my son. You know, he's at an age where now he's, I say a curse word. There's, there's a good chance he might say it back. And I'd be lying to myself saying I need to play more censored albums, but it just, I can't, I can't do it. I, I can. I've done it a couple times, but it, I don't know. Not, I don't know. I'll put it like this. If he learns a couple curse words through the album, is it that bad? <laughs> I know it is. I know it is. But this is this is my little struggle that I got going on right now. Like, okay, Forest Hills Drive, censored version, OG version. Yeah, I, I, I'll do better on that. Before I got too sidetracked here, we talked about the BS performance. Now to the Colors performance for Privileged Rappers. Colors, y'all can take notes. I, I appreciate having, you know, the simplistic color scheme, you know, the little, a, a little bit of a gradient pattern, purple, blues, greens, colors. We, we get the idea behind it. But y'all could take notes from Drake and 21s, the way they had that sort of like golden background with the textures. It really added that 
it just added more to the atmosphere. It, it really did. Because for the most part, don't get me wrong, I love y'all. I love y'all with the live performances, but it's just like, oh, wow, I wonder what color they're going to choose next. Blue? Like a shade of blue, lavender? You know, add some, add a little bit more in there. Dragon 21, y'all really need to link up with colors and get, and get this going. I prefer for, you know what? I would love to see a middle of the ocean performance on colors. Can that happen? Yo, I got y'all. I'll call up Drake right now. I'll shoot him a text. I, I don't got any contacts for colors. I, I'm going to need one of y'all to plug me up with that. We'll set this up. That's enough. We're going to stop the whole, oh, we hope this happens. I'll set it up for y'all. I'll go text Aubrey right now. <laughs> and so, you know, seeing how I'm, I've been able to have a good time talking about these parodies is something I'm going to remember years from now when it comes to this rollout. I haven't even touched upon the fake Vogue covers, which initially I thought was real. Then it sort of hit me. Why would Vogue do that? And then eventually Vogue hit them with the lawsuit. It ain't going to go anywhere, but it's just like, oh, <laughs> we getting, they getting sued for this rollout. Another, another bit of element to the storytelling. And I don't remember the one it's exactly supposed to replicate, but 21 Savage reading Charlotte's Web when I first seen the screenshots and the memes, I was just like, is he being for real? I had a question and not because I, I, I see 21 as someone that's like, yeah, he would read Charlotte's Web. But I was just like, is this one of those, is this one of those things that, you know how someone, the, them YouTube people that be telling y'all, oh, if you want to be a millionaire, you need to live the, these are five living habits that millionaires do. 21 Savage reads Charlotte's Web every single day, wakes up at four o'clock in the morning, well, let's keep going from here. Runs, <laughs> runs 10 miles every single day. Takes a cold shower. No towel. It's going to be an air dry. And <laughs> you know, that's, how, that's how it be sometimes, man. It's just like, oh, want to know the reason you're not a billionaire? Because you're not vegan. Even when you're drinking almond milk, you, you're not drinking the most pure almond milk. You got to crack the almonds yourself. When you eat chocolate, you got to make the chocolate yourself. That's how you become a millionaire. You got you to gotta do everything yourself. That's pretty entertaining. I don't know. I, I've seen a couple of those clips. We're going out, definitely going outside. Yeah, I missed y'all. I'm not going to lie. I miss doing this. I really do. Over here, my voice fluctuating and stuff. Getting emotional. But I find them really entertaining. So it's like, Dom, this is the daily habit of this billionaire. And sometimes when I'm watching them, I'm just like, yo, I'm not believing this. I'm not believing that Steve Jobs, wait, Steve Jobs, rest in peace. I'm not believing Elon Musk does a thousand pushups every morning. I, I can't list a billionaire right now that actually does that or the video that I watch, but every day, wake up, meditate, 4.30, a thousand pushups, 4.45, using the toilet. For 4.55, using toothpaste from the Himalayan mount just doesn't work that way. <laughs> so going on from the Drake and 21 Savage album rollout, I love how before the album and during the album, things are entertaining. They're having a lot of fun with it. And there's a lot of memorable moments. And the memes we're getting out of this is also high quality. And I also want to touch on the Rich Flex memes that we've been seeing. Rich Flex, uh, you know, an intense, aggressive start to the album. One thing that I really wanted from her loss, of course, is for the intro of the song to continue to have that momentum Drake is known to have in his intros. And Rich, Rich Flex, especially with the beat switch, is a very, uh, 
very impactful start to the album. So to see the aggression, the bangers that I I I feel when I listen to the track, and then to see the internet make the memes is just like a complete 180. It's like, yo, we got a ridiculous track. We got a banger, something that's gonna be booming on the speakers. And here comes the internet saying, all right, hear me out. What if we put Drake with heels on, dancing with that intro with 21 Savage? Do your thing, 21. Me. Oh. <laughs> All right, internet, do your thing. Do your thing. Um, seeing 21's reactions with that one Twitch streamer, Kai, I believe his name is. I thought it was dope for 21 being who he was to sort of sit there. And he could he really could have said, hey, turn, turn this shit. I ain't trying to see. I ain't trying to see them do this to us. But instead, he sat there, watched the memes, um, everything from having like, yo, there's, there's 3D designers that woke up or saw the whole trend with the with Rich Flex and said, you know what? I'm going to animate Drake in 3D with some earrings, some lipsticks, whatever. And he <laughs> and, and they put it together. And I'm pretty sure Drake and 21 did not plan this. Like, yo, this intro, listen, listen, look, I'm looking at you right now. This intro, people are going to be making remixes of this extra feminine and flamboyant. And it's going to do numbers. But yet again, if he did plan that out, I mean, that's like the ultimate chess move legitimately. But the fact that this occurred, the way the album is, the way the song is structured, I'm just like, gotta love the internet sometimes. So before we continue just going on all these side tangents, I'm just gonna end it off with, I would love to see genuine performances, a genuine colors performance for Drake and 21 Savage, as well as Tiny Desk. Howard Stern, I don't care to see a radio show with Drake and 21 Howard Stern or magazine covers with Vogue, but uh, I'm entertained by all of this. Now, Taylor Swift has the highest first week sales in 2022 with 1.5 million sales first week. 1.58 if we want to be technical, which is crazy. The highest in 2022 broke the milli mark. Now, when I saw this, a couple things. When I, when I see... When I saw how what she was on pace to sell, blah, God, I don't know what happened there. I was just like, damn, Taylor Swift's on pace to sell over a milli? That's wild. At, at least for me, I would like to say, I'm not going to sit here and say I pay attention to every song for every genre, regardless of whatever. So if I don't know the song, it ain't that hot. I'm not trying to go that route. But I will say, I didn't hear no Taylor Swift music in any of the reels through social media, whether it's YouTube Shorts, whether it's TikTok, whether it's Instagram. I haven't seen no music videos. I haven't seen no memes. So when I saw it was on pace to sell a milli, I was like, whoa, 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 where's this coming from? And, and not to the point where I felt it was fake streams, but I was just like, am I, am I that out of touch with Taylor Swift's music? Was her album that incredible to where everybody that listened to it felt this was a classic till the end of time, a timeless piece of music that will continue to resonate with humans forever. I didn't think so either. So I, that's whenever I let the week pass by. Ultimately, Taylor Swift Midnight sold 1.58 million units first week. And I was like, I want to see how this happened. Because this, you know, the amount of sales to the amount of attention or the amount of noise it made, besides from the sales, just didn't correlate in my head. So I got the numbers for y'all. I got the breakdown. And Taylor Swift Midnight, a majority of the album, a majority of the album sales were through physical copies. That 
that blew me away. It wasn't completely streams. It wasn't all relying on streams. Most of it was through physical sales. So one thing we could understand from this is number one, Taylor Swift's fan base, crazy. Now they ain't trying to just stream the music. We buying, we buying the music. Anybody that got fans, anybody that's an artist listening to this, gotta get people to buy your music too, too, too. Now, who am I to say this? Listen, I'm someone that also buys music. If I'm, you know, if I'm really loving the album, I am a fan of the artist. I will buy the music and also stream the artist. Something I preach. And for Taylor Swift, you're seeing it done at the highest level. Streaming era, for most of the first week sales number, physical. But now to get into the actual meat of it, I got notes right here. So 1.5 million units sold first week. 1.1 million came from actual album sales. So only about 400,000 were actual streaming numbers, which I just want to put in here, Drake and 21 Savage, 411K first week, no physical albums. That's crazy. Seeing as how Taylor Swift was in the same 400,000 range, streaming only. Goes to show, I'm going to go on a slight tangent here. If Drake and 21 Savage really planned this out in the, for the sake of sales, I think that I, I believe her loss could have broken a million first week if they followed this Taylor Swift recipe when it came to when it came to her album launch. So one thing Taylor Swift did, or actually numerous things that Taylor Taylor Swift did, is for starters pre-orders for physical copies of the albums, not just CDs, but vinyls as well. And so to give you the breakdown, it, there was four standard CD editions, each with a different cover, both clean and explicit. Four vinyl editions, each with a different color, each with a different cover and colored vinyl, as well as a cassette tape. So when it comes to, you know, physical pieces of music, Taylor fans they were eating. They had choices. It wasn't just as simple as one CD. We're going to have different covers of these CDs. We're going to have different covers of these vinyls, damn near even the cassette tapes. Now, this doesn't mean everybody that's, you know, everybody got to buy every copy, but I wouldn't be surprised if there's some Taylor Swift fans out there that damn near, all right, I'm going to buy not just one CD, but all these CDs or maybe even all these vinyls. But just having that extra you know, putting putting that extra effort into your own music. Let me take a step back. Putting that extra effort to have your fans being fed with wide choices for the music, what to cop, what they want on their walls. That's something that I really appreciate from artists. That's why when it comes to, I know for me, some of the music I buy, one thing that I'm really, physical music, one thing that I'm really key on is the presentation the choices I have as far as what do I want in on my wall? What do I want, you know, whenever I'm carrying around, whether it's a CD or the vinyl. And yeah, I almost lost y'all there. So to continue on from there, that's that's insane. Now, going more into some of the stuff Taylor Swift has done to achieve the 1.1 million sales, Target was also selling an exclusive lavender edition of the album on CD and colored vinyl with the CD boasting three bonus tracks. So, so far, Taylor Swift has released physical CD copies, both clean and explicit with four different covers for the CD edition. When it comes to the vinyls, Taylor Swift released four vinyl LP editions, each with a different colored 
each with a different cover and colored vinyl and a cassette tape. She had a Target exclusive Lavender Edition album, well, version of Midnight that had three bonus tracks in there. So another incentive to buy the Target version and, you know, also a Target deal. People that shop at Target be like, whoa, if they're a Taylor Swift fan, they're going into the store and saying, hey, I haven't seen this version of Midnight. You know, I haven't seen this version of Midnight. Oh, three bonus songs. So, you know, there's really multiple avenues for Taylor Swift fans to eat and to buy the album. Plenty of incentives, something that artists, y'all could take note of. In addition, the weeks leading up to the release, Taylor Swift's web store sold pre-orders of signed copies of the four standard CD albums and the four standard vinyls. Midnight is, was also available in a, deluxe, in a deluxe box set with a CD edition of the album, a Swift branded t-shirt exclusive for Capital One card holders. Three hours after Midnight dropped, after three hours after Taylor Swift dropped her album, she issued a deluxe edition of the album with seven bonus songs, 20 tracks in total for Midnight, to streaming services and digital retailers, with the latter including a digital liner notes booklet. Immense, immense, a lot to package here. So I broke down some of the physical aspects with the CDs, the vinyls, and then various physical copies, whether we're talking about car, um, uh, Target, and then even going as far as to have it to where when she did release her album, she released a deluxe edition that same very night. Now, I almost want to believe. Now, and this isn't coming from a point where uh, I'm, I'm sort of taking Taylor Swift down for this, but I'm pretty sure the album was originally 20 songs and Taylor Swift just decided, this is coming from someone who really hasn't listened to the album. I'm just thinking seven tracks just to throw a bonus. Now, I felt like she made the album and said, you know what? I'm going to just release this batch of songs first and I'm going to release the rest of the album and call it a deluxe. I guess you could say my little conspiracy, but that's incredibly smart. We've seen hip hop artists do it in the past, in the past to uh, secure higher sales. Most notably, Nav, I don't remember the name of his album, but within the same week, he released a deluxe edition, which was a whole nother album. And that's how he was able to secure the number one spot with over 100K first week, I believe. My memory serves me right all these years of looking at first week numbers and stuff. So this was uh, a bit messy, but this was the breakdown how Taylor Swift was able to sell 1.5 million first weeks in 2022 in the streaming era. And this, after understanding how Taylor Swift did it, is genius. Even going as far as to say, you know, connections are important. And there's a reason why certain artists, even if they have the capabilities of going independent, don't. I think this is a great example. I, I don't see Taylor Swift having exclusive copies of Midnight with Target if she wasn't signed because that, to me, you know, that's something that you're going to definitely let the label handles. But to be able to do that is incredible. And having to where anybody that's a Capital One, I, I believe, credit card holder to be able to access. Yeah. So to be able to access the deluxe box set of Midnight with a Swift branded T-shirt and a CD edition of the album exclusively for Capital One holders, that's also a great touch. So there was just 
various ways to be a Taylor Swift fan. Y'all were eating. Like, y'all were eating. This, this is crazy. Now, uh, this goes to, uh, yeah, to, to end this, to end this, because, you know, I, I'm not, how would I put this? All right, here we go. I believe artists like Drake and 21 have, they really wanted to secure 800,000 first week. I believe they easily could have done it. Honestly, seeing some of the hip hop first week numbers, it's something that I preach, that I preach earlier is I'm surprised they don't push physical albums as much. Now, we could go into the conversation on the demographics, uh, the fact that it's usually two different uh, genres. You know, our Taylor Swift fans, they're more likely to buy albums compared to maybe little baby fans, so on and so forth. But still being able to have that, like if little baby had multiple versions of my turns on CDs, on vinyls or deluxe, we could have seen him push for like 300K. I honestly believe he could have done 400K if he did something like this, going as hard pre-order. Same thing with Drake, Drake 21. They could have hit a milli easily. And this is the grand takeaway. Taylor Swift only sold about 400,000 first week on streams. Like, that's the grand takeaway from this. Like, we view 1.5 million first week, crazy it is, but streaming-wise, she did 400K, which is insane as well. I'm not trying to take away any credit, but Drake and 21 have 400K. So can you imagine they just had the same plan as Taylor Swift? And that's two fan bases of, you know, one of the biggest artists in the world along with an extraordinary artist such as 21. So thank y'all for sticking with me through this. Uh, you know, we're warming up, we're warming up, but having this breakdown of Midnight, did that give you like bigger respect for as far as like Taylor Swift's team, the label, the way they handled this? Were you even aware of any of this information or did you just assume like 1.5, however they did it, it, it was crazy. So going on to he- for here, I'm going to talk a little bit about FTX. Not so much about the fact that they went bankrupt, everything is burning down, and millions of people have lost any access to their money, all of their money, and are potentially filing for bankruptcy, breaking down, or just not having a very great time. Yeah, we're going to list all of those things. But from my experience, because I want to speak about my experience, I've dabbled with FTX for a certain bit. and. I'm not going to sit here and act like I made thousands and ten thousands of stupid profit. I, you know, I messed around, made some lost on whatever the case was and nothing crazy. Promise y'all. My biggest takeaway from my crypto experience with FTX and not just FTX, but various other brokerages such as Coinbase and Binance, whatever else. I, I was signing up brokerages, playing around with leverage, whatever the case was. Is I never saw this as something for the long term was financially secure. And not because I knew deep down none of, none of this was actually safe and every, you know, the, the CEOs were actually finessing everybody or they were doing bullshit. No, it ain't even like that. But for me, it's just, why would I, why would I risk my financial position on these exchanges that really aren't to where it's so easy to just make an account or play with these insane leverages or that promise insane interest rates just to hold coins. To me, from a logical perspective, it just didn't make sense. And I felt this, it wouldn't have been safe with me. Why would I throw, let's just say, for example, a band or so in here 
for 30% interest. Like on, on paper, I could see how some people be, would fall for that. I'm, I'm going to say fall for that. But for me, it's just like, all right, we're going with this whole route of we're not going to trust banks. We're going to go to crypto where there's no regulations, where there's no protection against your money, where there's no insurances, where there's not even a place where you could genuinely get customer support attentively. I just felt like it was a no-brainer. But yet we've seen, or not, yeah, we. I'm pretty sure you know a couple of people that have really spent some bread in cryptocurrency. And it's one of those situations to where even though, uh, there's a good, there's a good, uh, how would I say it? The companies, the CEOs, there's a lot of lies and manipulation. But at the same time, there's got to be some accountability for the fact that like, y'all are really messed up. But like for the people that invested in FTX, for the people that put their money in Voyager, for the people that put their money in these crypto exchanges or dealt with this and are suffering from these repercussions. It's just like, that's what y'all get to be real with y'all for falling for this. That's the way I see it. Now, um, what's the ultimate end goal besides me saying, ah, that's what that's what happens whenever you uh, you know do your due diligence, whatever case is. There's a very very ugly side to investing your money, not even investing. There's a very ugly side to gambling your money on cryptocurrency. You've got, um, you know, we've been seeing it for the past year, even when it was running high. I mean, hey, you know, some people were able to make it off, make millions, thousands. I, I know a couple people with that with Doge, they've made thousands and thousands. And it's one of those things that to me, it's one thing to hear it. It's one thing to see people on the internet. It's one thing to see people on Reddit uh, post their games, but to actually see someone in front of you whether coworkers or acquaintances, and look in there and see, like, yeah, man, I made nine thousand off of Dogecoin last night. It, it gives it definitely for me when I first seen it with my very eyes. There was like a sense of FOMO when it came to cryptocurrency, not just Doge, but it's like, wow, is this really what could have? Is this really it? Is this is this my ticket of being a millionaire? I could be you right now with nine thousand extra dollar if I go all in on this dog coin or various other coin exchanges playing around with leverage. But one thing that I understood at the very fundamental is this isn't investing. And I'm not gonna sit here and say I'm an investing expert. And the same way I've been going off on people, not going off, but breaking out how you shouldn't just blindly trust anything for the fact of money being made. I am not a financial advisor. I am not. But for me, for the reasons I just stated earlier, the way crypto was ran, I just, the fundamentals weren't there for me to just start throwing money at it. It wasn't. And I believe myself, I, this was a no-brainer for me. So to see people that, or experts or have their entire YouTube channels dedicated to this have meltdowns or lose everything. It's just like, ha, dummies. Oh, man, uh, I can't believe it. And, you know, there's a lot of people, a lot of people, there's been, you know, major, major pro- promotion of FTX, major branding, whether we're talking about the Miami Heat Arena, whether we're talking about people like Tom Brady or Stephen Curry getting sponsored, various other YouTubers like me, Kevin and Granham, I believe, like getting thousands and thousands every single month getting paid by them. You know, it's like there's a lot of money. I could see how it could become enticing. There's, you know, sort of high reputable, high celebrity profiles, but ultimately, 
Jeez, too many people got finessed, man. I just want to give my two cents on that. And going on from here, we're going to talk about the best, best, uh, let me not say best, one of the greatest pieces of literature, if not the greatest. One Piece, chapter 1066, cover story, starting off with the German army. I looked at it and I was like, I really can't remember anything that happened with them aside from various things in the past couple chapters. I was, uh, I was like, I could relate to this cover story being something big. You know what I'm saying? So from there, I was just like, eh, whatever. Going on through the chapter, we have a lot of revelations from Dragon, Dr. Vegapunk, and we get we get some emotional ties around our heart, emotional ties. We get our heart, our heartstrings tugged a little bit throughout the chapter. So Vegapunk basically telling the Straw Hats, or rather, you know, Sanji, Frankie, Robin, Usopp about the Ohara incident. Because we are familiar with that. The straw has not so much, but going on to explain, you know, carrying O'Hara's, the, ti- the chapter, chapter title being titled O'Hara's Will, Dr. Vegapunk giving the breakdown of O'Hara, the books that we thought were burned, they were actually saved. The efforts of the scientists throwing them in the water, it ended up working out. And then just seeing Dr. Vegapunk break this down to Robin as she's in, you know, and then we're seeing like genuine tears throughout her facial expressions. It was just like, oh man, it reminds, it brings me back to that Annie's lobby era bit whenever, you know, she wanted to live. Actually, we saw some emotions compared to the Alabasta arc. And to get ourselves a bit more organized here, I, I gotta, I gotta do myself a favor and go through the chapter just to appreciate, you know, I enjoy pointing out some of the manga panels that I find to be pretty dope. I mean, starting off having Egghead Island in the first panel, it's nice to continue to enjoy that scenery. So with Vegapunk emphasizing the fact most of this technology is based on the past, Void Century is an island. And then Robin, of course, mentioning the Void Century. Vegapunk basically confirming this for everybody. And then him mentioning the fact that the Void Century, you know, I believe the history of the Void Century is the history of a conflict of one between an alliance of 20 nations, the Forgotten Advanced Kingdom. It's just more, confirm, not confirmation, but more insurance. It's like, all right, we all, everybody, we're slowly people, more and more people are getting to understand this and know this. Now, I, I believe this will eventually get to a point where we would even have the leaders, the leaders of, um, not the world government, of all, all these nations slowly get to understand not understand, get this piece of information. I feel this will ultimately lead up to the to the war because it's going to need the backing of everybody in the One Piece world to really get this going. Of course, all the pirates, Luffy, and so on. Not not no grand theory or anything like that, but this I feel this is information that's going to continue to leak out. Uh, well, at least with uh, you know the forgotten Vance Kingdom. Anyhow, Doctor Vegapunk bringing up the fact the Agent Kingdom got erased. The very fact that even I work for the government at this close of a position does not mean I'm safe from discussing this. And then I, I sort of appreciate, I sort of like these moments, but I don't. Whenever Sanji, Frankie and them, oh, no, I'm not really Frankie, like Sanji and Usopp, oh, why are you telling us this? If we could be erased, blah, blah. I, I get it's a bit of a gag. I bet there's some humor in there. But y'all have done way too much to really be freaked out about this. I mean, just a declaration against the world government in any's lobby 
like y'all stood 10 toes down. And now when it comes to learning this, like, oh, like y'all really flipping out? I could sometimes appreciate more seriousness in this manga at times where there's a little too much humor. I'm not saying this, I don't know, like this is a complaint I have an order, but it's moments like this where it's just like, can y'all stop? Just let Vegapunk speak, man. Over here, don't, why are you telling us this? And so going on from there, Robin, if that's true, how could you know they were researching that kingdom, explaining that's the reason why I got destroyed because they got that confirmation about the ancient kingdom, what they shouldn't have known. Vegapunk stating the will of Ohara lives on, tying it in with the name of the chapter. And then the, we get a little quick rehash of the story, Robin, the girl that lived. And then with Robin sort of being like, you know, asking him, how did you know Professor Clover? Professor Clover, hey, he was a multiple journeys, also being captured by the Marines, a grand sort of, what I say adventure? You know, we live in that pirate lifestyle too. And the fact that Dr. Vegapunk says, you know, he was a, close friend and close acquaintance, close colleague. And the fact that, number one, I love when we get characters a little bit more fleshed out that we really don't think are going to make a comeback. But to see is just like to, you know, even for the researchers, I like that they're not just straight boring or yeah, I just studied about like, nah, they, they go on a bit of a journey. So going on through here, one of the panels, of course, uh, with Clover, seeing him with his sword in front of the ship, Dr. OG, Dr. Vegapunk, one thing that was theorized is probably he has an elongated head due to his vast knowledge. It looks like that ended up being true. You know, I was just like, looks a bit weird and wonky, what we expected. And Dr. Vegapunk basically breaking down the fact that at the center of the island, a believable amount of books, the Marines didn't discover that. Uh, When Dr. Vegapunk found that out, he couldn't believe it himself and he... He couldn't stop from crying. Then we get the flashbacks with Robin. Seeing, again, seeing Robin teary eyed, the flashbacks, moms, and then, of course, D saw. Amazing stuff right here. I, 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 I wouldn't say I cried, but I definitely got teared up. And then Vegapunk mentioning the fact that whenever he was there, he saw giants taking the books out from the lake. And then, of course, that's whenever he met up with Dragon. They're both questioning each other, like, we didn't expect to see each other here. And then from there, how Dragon also was inspired from the Ohara incident to start the Revolutionary Army. Not to get confused with the Freedom Fighters just yet. We don't know if the Freedom Fighters was the Revolutionary Army before officially heading that route against the world government. But seeing Vegapunk and Dragon both being, both inheriting the will of Ohara due to that incident and sort of going against the world government or making that their focus towards that point is... Damn near a lot of lore I didn't expect, but you also see two sides of the same coin. Seeing Vegapunk going the world government approach. They got the money, they got the bread, so they're going to feed my ideas, but he's not exactly with the world government. And seeing Dragon being someone who's going to be in the shadows, going to go against the world government. And I believe it was Ohara's video that I watched where he spoke about how Dragon could have been potentially a Marine or a CP0 agent. And that could be a possibility. I'm not going to knock that. Based on the first interaction between Dragon and Vegapunk was um, them questioning why they were there. Like they didn't expect to see each other there on Ohara, which isn't, I, I can see how 
both of them expect not expecting each other could raise some questions. So it's a little bit plausible. But at the same time, maybe they just didn't expect each other. Just, just want to throw that out there. Uh, but from there, seeing the design, Vegapunk, OG Vegapunk, tongue out. Seeing younger Dragon from 22 years ago without the tattoo a bit slunched over. I'm like, I could sort of see the Luffy resemblance. Sort of see it, sort of not. But it's cool seeing a young Dragon, which I didn't expect. Young Vegapunk sort of how they both, their ideals, how they got to where they were. And then a couple more important things to discuss before I end this off is the fact that the Giants, of course, Elbaf, Vegapunk eventually went to Elbaf where the Giants allowed him, or rather Saul and the Giants allowed him to read every book, everything he needed, absorbing all that information and remembering it to basically know the truth, know about the Agent Kingdom, potentially more information that wasn't discussed in this chapter as well as being capable to reverse engineer a lot of the stuff the Age of Kingdom have already accomplished, created. So Vegapunk's still a genius for that. Regardless of his reverse injury, reverse engineering or technology from the past, Vegapunk, he the only OG in the world that knows how to do this pretty wild. And then with the confirmation that Saul is still alive, the giant, and from what we've seen in the a bit of a flashback. It looks like he suffered major burns, potentially once he was frozen. Alcanus flames burned his body. Was the ice enough to, you know, keep him alive? Potentially, is this the man with the, you know, the burn mark that was discussed, that kid was discussing? Potentially. Uh, a couple things to know is we're definitely going to be getting Elbaf damn near next arc. Like, I feel this is sort of, Egghead Island would sort of be a zoo, not in terms of lore and story, but in terms of Probably only going to be like what 30, 30 or forty chapters before. Was it was those forty chapters? I want to say 30, 30, 40 chapters before we're on to the next major one. And from there, Saul's alive. Robin, like the fact hearing that the was it the demon's child? Her nickname, Robin, basically having nobody living by her lonely. Everybody that she's um was close to killed in the Ohara incident consistently and constantly being hunted down throughout her entire life to have somebody that she knows, grew up with, so to speak, and sort of see as family for Saul to still be alive. There's a glimmer of hope for Robin. Great touch. I believe it was Mr. Moritz that was saying he didn't like that, how it was from a story perspective, a narrative perspective. I was just like... I'm going to wait for his breakdown Tuesday, but for me, I really enjoyed it. And then to the end of the episode off, we go back into the mech, the mech giant. And we see OG Vegapunk right now. And most of his head's gone. Most likely he split his brain to the various Vegapunks. But we sort of see an apple. And then the long tongue and the resemblance to Einstein. We all get it right there. And that's going to be it for chapter 1066. And I just want to go over this right here. Yep. 1066, that was to end off a lot of information to unpack. I feel this is going to be consistently done throughout these next chapters. I would like an update on Blackbeard and Law. And with that, Vivid Nectar podcast, episode 254, discussing Drake and 21 Savage's album rollout. From there, talking about Taylor Swift's Midnight, how it sold 1.5 million first week, how it was done. A little bit of crypto, a little bit of FTX, a little bit of, you know, a little talk. And then from here, ending it off with One Piece. Thank you for listening to this episode. Vivinector on Instagram. Follow me on there for some music rotation, some uh, some clips to ease, you know, some of the stuff I do. If you're listening to this, 
let me organize it better. Vivid Nectar, visually, see some reels on there. Same thing with YouTube Shorts. You're listening to this on streaming platforms. Thank you. If you want the visual experience, yet again, YouTube is where I upload the entire episode as well. I'll catch you guys on the next one.